Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 101 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is about the antitrust divisions, recent announcement to implement credit for compliance programs and related compliance guidance. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. And before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and give the podcast a five-star rating. Second, the Volkoff Law Group provides ethics and compliance program services, including antitrust compliance program design, assessments, audits, and related services. We have extensive experience in handling antitrust investigations and compliance programs. If interested in our services in this area, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Well, in yet another major compliance development this year, the Justice Department announced Uh, the adoption of a new policy to credit effective compliance programs in resolving criminal cartel prosecutions against corporations. Now, let's take a little bit of a background view here. Since the 1990s, the antitrust division's policy regarding corporate compliance programs was generally fixed, and it was somewhat equivocal, uh, given the ability of companies to seek benefits under the existing Uh, leniency program. Uh, Under that program, the first reporting company earns immunity and a detrebling of civil liability for antitrust cartel conduct, and cooperating officers oftentimes will receive uh, immunity as well. Um, Under that policy, the second company that would come in, for example, and cooperate would would, would have to plead guilty and then get a uh, benefit f- of a reduced penalty for its cooperation and being the second company in. Um, they would not receive typically credit for its compliance program or maintaining an effective compliance program or any remediation effort uh, under that, and they would normally have to plead guilty to a criminal antitrust offense. The benefit they would get from cooperation would be a reduced uh, penalty. So As part of the new policy, uh, the antitrust division released its own guidance for how you evaluate corporate compliance programs, and this new document complements the recent guidance issued by the criminal division, which we've talked about, and now companies facing uh, criminal prosecution under the leniency program, not being the first one in on a leniency program, can now seek credit for their respective compliance programs. Um, with regard to uh, antitrust compliance. Uh, The policy was announced by Assistant Attorney General Macon Delrahim in a speech uh, a couple weeks ago, and the announcement is sort of the culmination of a lengthy process within the antitrust division, which included a public roundtable with antitrust practitioners, coordination with global cartel enforcement authorities, and an internal Justice Department review. Like I explained in the corporate leniency policy, companies that cooperate were generally required, that being the second and the third and the fourth, whatever, uh, being required to plead guilty to a criminal charge with an opportunity to receive the penalty reduction. Um, AAG Delrahim explained this all-or-nothing approach was intended to incentivize Uh, early reporting. In other words, try to be the first one in, and it would provide even greater incentives for the first one in because you get immunity. Uh, 
So now, to sort of refine the incentive structure, the antitrust division is going to, one, credit compliance programs at the charging stage. In other words, when they're negotiating, let's say, a plea agreement. Two, clarify its approach to evaluating effectiveness of compliance programs at the charging stage. And that's the guidance, and that's why they issued it. And three is the release of the public guidance document. The antitrust division reiterated its primary objective, which is they still want people to come in and be the first one in to report under the leniency program as the best way to deter criminal cartels. But on the uh, at the same time, I think there was some recognition that the best way to incentivize corporate compliance programs as a primary first-in-line defense uh, to detect and prevent uh, was to provide this type of in- incentive. The antitrust division embraced the four important prongs of corporate citizenship, which are listed under the Justice Manual's Principles of Federal Prosecutions of Business Organizations. Uh, One, being robust and effective compliance programs. Two, prompt self-reporting when misconduct occurs. Three, cooperation in any investigation. And four, remedial actions. When all four of these principles are met, uh, the antitrust divisions agrees that a company should be rewarded and credited. For a long time, the antitrust division took the position that you shouldn't get credit for an effective compliance program or a compliance program by the fact that you committed the violation itself. And usually antitrust cartels involve senior level people because a deal to be cut, an illegal deal among competitors, you need somebody sort of higher up to do that. So now the new policy is aimed at encouraging investment in compliance programs in the first place and to incentivize everyone to do the same. The antitrust division's uh, corporate compliance uh, guidelines and evaluation factors um, and their sort of new policy are going to be implemented at the time of the determination of uh, a charging decision and whether to require a company to plead guilty or enter a deferred prosecution agreement. That's basically the benefit here that's going to be sought. The antitrust division, however, uh, will continue to disfavor, and they rarely, if ever, I've actually not even seen a case where they issue, uh, will agree to a non-prosecution agreement with companies uh, for any company that does not receive leniency. It's almost the same thing as being the first one in. Under the new policy, a compliance program will not guarantee a DPA, deferred prosecution agreement, Such a determination will require a fact-specific inquiry into whether the program at issue is adequately designed for maximum effectiveness in preventing and detecting wrongdoing by employees. And it will be considered together with other relevant factors like the nature of the violation, uh, when the reporting occurred. The antitrust division will continue to apply its successful corporate leniency program, which has been in place since the early 90s. The new compliance credit policy also will apply at sentencing proceedings. Under the existing sentencing guidelines, a company can earn a three-point reduction in its culpability score if the company has an effective compliance program. Second, a compliance program may be relevant to deter um, determining the appropriate corporate fine to recommend within the guideline range or even below the range in extraordinary circumstances. And third, the existence of a compliance program is relevant to the government's recommendation on probation. 
in most cases, the division has recommended against imposing probation on a corporate defendant. The division may recommend an external monitor in egregious cases where, one, the company fails to improve its compliance program and corporate culture, two, the company refuses to implement an adequate compliance program or implements a grossly inadequate uh, compliance program, and three, the company is a repeat offender. As part of the new corporate compliance credit program, the Justice Department, as I mentioned, issued uh, the first time in its history, guidance to assist prosecutors in the evaluation of compliance programs at the charging and the sentencing stages. Um, this, uh, the division's new policy reflects the coordination with the criminal division's document and recent changes to the justice manual as well as the U.S. sentencing guidelines. Like the criminal division's guidance, the antitrust division's guidance is organized around three critical questions. One, is the compliance program well-designed? Two, is the compliance program being applied earnestly and in good faith? And three, does the compliance program actually work? The nine elements of an effective compliance program include, and you're not going to be surprised by any of these, the design and comprehensiveness of the program, the culture of compliance, responsibility for and resources dedicated to antitrust compliance, four, antitrust risk assessment techniques, five, compliance training and communication to employees, six, monitoring and auditing techniques, including continued review, evaluation, and revision of the compliance program, seven, reporting mechanisms, eight, compliance incentives and discipline, and nine, remediation methods. To focus the inquiry on criminal antitrust cartels, prosecutors will ask three preliminary questions. One, does the company's compliance program address and prohibit criminal antitrust violations? Two, did the antitrust compliance program detect and facilitate prompt reporting of the violation? Three, to what extent was a company's senior management involved in the violation? When it comes to sentencing, the new guidance includes a case-by-case analysis using a rebuttable presumption that a compliance program is not effective when certain high-level personnel or substantial authority personnel participated in, condoned, or were willfully ignorant of the offense. The new guidance is an excellent document that focuses on specific criminal antitrust conduct, that being criminal agreements relating to price-fixing, market allocation, and bid rigging. Uh, with this focus, the antitrust division guidance tailors many of the well-known compliance elements to specific antitrust risk considerations, including competitor contacts and communications, industry meetings, price changes that are coordinated, bid monitoring, and marketplace activities. Here are some, but not all, of the interesting issues that were raised in the guidance. And I'm going to go through some of the interesting issues that came up. One was design and comprehensiveness. In reviewing a company's antitrust compliance program, the guidance includes questions concerning the responsibility for integrating an antitrust compliance program in the business operations and controls. 
In particular, the guidance asks if the company tracks contacts with competitors, attendance at industry and other meetings with competitors, and seeks information on whether the company monitors such data. Again, like in the criminal uh, divisions uh, context, uh, the new antitrust guidance focuses on culture of compliance, and the guidance reinforces other Justice Department guidance on the importance of senior leadership communications through words and conduct of a commitment to compliance. The guidance uh, relay also with regard to responsibility for the compliance program. The guidance reiterates inquiries concerning the designation of a chief compliance officer, the authority and reporting responsibility of, of the CCO, and the capabilities and access to sufficient resources to execute the compliance program. With regard to risk assessment, the guidance suggests that companies should focus risk assessments on industries, business lines, information collection and analyses for detecting potential misconduct, and periodic updating of the company's risk analysis. With respect to training and communications, the guidance inquires as to the company's training program and the nature and extent of compliance communications, how the company tailors its training to the proper audience based on risk considerations, with respect to periodic review and monitoring, the guidance asks how the company evaluates its compliance program, the nature of compliance audits, and the existence of screening systems for detecting potential violations based on communications monitoring or statistical testing. The statistical testing uh, is, a, is an interesting element because there's been a lot of scholarship surrounding this issue uh, as to how to detect through statistical analysis um, potential uh, cartel activity. There are also, with respect to uh, employee reporting, the guidance inquires as to the existence of an established reporting system, which is adequately monitored and permits anonymous reporting in addition to established reporting systems. As to incentives and discipline, the guidance asks what incentives are in place to promote performance and conformance with uh, compliance expectations, and what disciplinary measures have been taken with respect to any antitrust policy violations. In this area, the guidance seeks information on company efforts to publicize disciplinary actions and treatment of senior executives who were non-cooperative in any antitrust investigation. Finally, with respect to detection and remediation, the guidance focuses on whether the violation was detected by the antitrust compliance program and asks, if not, why not? And you better come up with an answer for that, is the suggestion. So the new antitrust guidance and the focus on antitrust compliance and the new guidance that we have here uh, reinforces an important issue from my perspective, which is we now have seen guidance in the area of, uh, from the criminal division, which covers FCPA, fraud, other types of offenses, safety violations, things like that. We have the OFAC uh, compliance guidance as well, and we have now the antitrust compliance guidance. And with all these three frameworks, the one key issue that comes across here is the need to break down silos, and bring all of this under the compliance uh, umbrella. In other words, I've seen silos where we have antitrust being handled by legal, 
uh, departments because of the sophisticated nature. Sometimes there are complex issues relating to compliance in antitrust and uh, underscoring the antitrust issues as to what is a violation or what is not. Here, when we're talking about criminal violations, uh, it, it's pretty. Per, it's a per se violation. It's a straightforward criminal inquiry, and for that reason, there's no reason that legal should hold on to that for any complexity. It frankly should be part of the uh, overall compliance program and under the purview of the chief compliance officer. Similarly, with regard to trade compliance. Uh, that has oftentimes grown into a, a, its own silo of activity and review or ex where export licensing and sanctions compliance may be needed. And here again, the, the trend is to bring, and with this the common guidance frameworks here, is to bring everything under one umbrella and leverage and build uh, economies of scope and economies of scale with regard to compliance programs, that there is so much overlap here that it doesn't make sense to have three separate silos. Uh, it makes more sense to have one silo of compliance or one operating area where you operationalize and coordinate with other sections, uh, but you do not have the primary responsibility spread out among the company. This new guidance, I think, reinforces that idea, uh, and hopefully we'll see uh, a trend in terms of breaking down those silos and bringing compliance programs together under uh, one umbrella. Well, that's it for today. We'll, uh, we'll return to antitrust compliance in a future episode on how to uh, put together an compli antitrust compliance program. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.bolkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals.